accessible, relational, creative, an experience that they will remember, community, curiosity, vulnerability, empowerment, on their team. Hello, and welcome to Pedagogy Pulse, a podcast where we'll talk with Northwestern instructors, from grad students to tenured faculty, about innovative teaching practices they're implementing in their classrooms and course design. I'm Jazz. I use they-them pronouns. I'm a fifth-year PhD candidate in composition and music technology at Northwestern, and a graduate assistant for teaching and learning technologies. I'll also be your host for this podcast. In this first episode, we'll talk with several presenters at the TeachX 2023 conference to get a sense of the spirit of the program. We'll hear about an ongoing accessibility initiative for making content work for all students and learn about the Canvas Hall of Fame project. Subsequent episodes will be devoted to individual and partner interviews with Northwestern educators about specific practices they use to enhance their teaching and course design. A common theme throughout all of these conversations will be a culture of care for students that drives educational innovation. But what is TeachX, you may be asking? The official language around the event is that TeachX is a conference presented by Northwestern Information Technology and the Office of the Provost. Held each May, TeachX showcases innovative approaches to teaching and learning with technology. This annual event brings together instructors, students, learning designers, and technology specialists to showcase their classroom experiments and celebrate successes in a community-oriented environment. Educators come together to talk about what's working and how to address the challenges of the day. For me, TeachX was a way to learn more about the technologies I could use in my own future classroom to increase accessibility and student engagement and foster deeper learning. I also saw TeachX as an opportunity for instructors to join together in the mutual pursuit of showing caring through innovative teaching practices and classroom technologies. This caring is a theme that showed up throughout the conference and will be central in this podcast as a whole. The 2023 TeachX conference took place May 17th and 18th on Northwestern's Evanston campus. Brian Dewsbury gave the keynote address entitled Beyond Inclusion, Education for Civic Engagement and Participation. And Thomas J. Tobin gave a featured workshop, sponsored by Accessible NU, on Scaling Up with Universal Design for Learning, and how to get colleagues to join you. I was unfortunately unable to sit down with Thomas J. Tobin to discuss his workshop, but I did have a chance to speak briefly with Brian Dewsbury. In addition to the keynote, he also offered a workshop on the first day of the conference, and we discussed some key takeaways from both presentations. For those of you who are unable to attend, Brian is an Associate Professor of Biological Sciences at Florida International University. His work addresses issues such as student retention in STEM fields, especially in higher ed, the underrepresentation of minority groups in certain STEM fields, and the role of the instructor and student in promoting student learning gains. Brian is dedicated to helping reframe the education discussion to better address questions of equity and community building. Acknowledging that there is no substitute for having been present at the keynote and workshop, Brian offered the following takeaways. I would say the workshop focused on helping faculty think a little bit differently about course evaluation. And when I say course evaluation, I don't mean student feedback or just grades. I mean a more comprehensive look at the entire experience and what constitutes success in a course experience. And then all the things that impact whether a successful experience happened or not. 
Um, so it, it includes some of those things, but it goes beyond that. Secondly, today's keynote focused on education as a civil right and the role of education in helping our democracy thrive more, be more socially just, um, and our responsibility as faculty members and as, as institutions, regardless of what our disciplinary expertise are, to help in that process. For some of you listening, these topics and concerns may be familiar. They might already be a part of your current pedagogical approach. For others, Brian's perspective may seem new, and might even challenge the way you typically approach teaching and course design. Luckily, if you do find yourself wanting to learn more about teaching through these lenses, there are a variety of resources out there that can help you get started. I asked Brian to name a few of his favorites. You know, one of the good things, good things to report, the things that, some of the things that give me hope, there's a lot now, right, in terms of uh, suggestions on how to get started or ways to think about your class that are relatively easy entry points. That wasn't the case when I started to think about my class, right? So I'll, I'll just self-promote for a little bit here. Um, some colleagues and I, Dr. Isis Arcevega, Imezi Mad, and Flora Darby, published a book called The Norton Guide to Equity-Minded Teaching. Um, we wrote that book partly for people like who you just described, where we summarize your research, but also provide very specific, actionable tips on you know, how you start thinking about a classroom. I mean, the book is structured in a kind of before the class starts, during the class, and at the end, how you reflect on things. So it's it's structured in the way you would deliver a class, right? Um, it's free to download. So if that does not track you, I don't know what will. Um, uh, Cynthia Brame and I wrote a paper several years ago in, in uh, Cell Biology Education on inclusive teaching that also provides specific uh, tips. Um, Kimberly Tanner's classic 21 strategies for a structured classroom, I think, is still relevant today as it was ever. Um, uh, Kelly Hogan and Vijay Sathy um, have a book on inclusive teaching that's also wonderful. So, yeah, I've given a few resources and I promise anybody listening that between all of that, you'll get a lot to, to, to distill. If you'd like to check out any of the resources Brian mentioned, there are links for each of them on the webpage associated with this episode. I've also included links to a few additional resources you might find interesting. In addition to the keynote address, there were a ton of workshops and interactive presentations both days of the conference. I mentioned Thomas J. Tobin's UDL-focused presentation earlier. Other presentations had titles like Making It Matter, Meaningfully Diversifying Content and Curriculum. Oral exams, turning a test into a learning experience in the age of chat GPT. Exploring outcomes in physical therapy mentorship. And silence in the classroom, leveraging reflection to encourage deep thinking. There was also a cool virtual reality room called the Emerging Technologies Lab, where you could test out virtual reality and augmented reality environments that could be incorporated into courses in a variety of disciplines. I spoke with Rodolfo Vieira, who leads the Media and Technology Innovation Team, part of Northwestern's IT department, about the Emerging Technologies Lab. We are here to showcase a lot of the innovation uh, work that you can do with augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, motion capture, and generative AI. Um, we have a few demos here at TeachX, and we encourage everyone to come check it out. And if you could not make it to TeachX, we are also located in the main library in the basement. Uh, so reach out to me, and we can set up sessions and demo for you a lot of the cool stuff that's happening here. 
Um, AR and VR are not here to replace uh, everything wholesale. Uh, the places where we are seeing a lot of uptake is in trying to do, for instance, uh, exhibitions that are curated for augmented reality or virtual reality. Um, so the idea is if you were just looking at a cabinet in a museum, you would not be able to touch objects. And there is like a lot of concerns about all that stuff. Uh, with VR, you get the best of both worlds. You can actually go into VR and experience uh, the exact replica of the real world components, but you can actually take statues out of the cabinets and look around and rotate and scale them. So you can actually see them, you can experience that in a way you couldn't do it otherwise. Um, in other cases too, for augmented reality, you can bring things to uh, the foreground in a different way too. So one of the ways is to augment experiences. Uh, we have content for a class that could benefit from that. Maybe not your whole class needs to be in AR VR, but maybe you have a component when it might be nice to bring your students to this virtual environment. Uh, we also have some VR platforms where you can bring students to like uh, ancient Greek uh, places or like uh, Colosseum, and you can have experiences in those places too. Um, so along those lines, we have a lot of stuff that you can do with closer to off-the-shelf options, and then you have, if you really want to customize experiences, uh, we can also work with you to make those happen. So lots of fascinating options available with virtual reality and augmented reality, and all of that is possible through support from the Media and Technology Innovation Team. To recap what Rodolfo mentioned in the beginning of our chat, you can find the Media and Technology Innovation Team in the basement of the main library. You can also find more information at mti.it.northwestern.edu. And you can also find that link on the webpage associated with this podcast. So a virtual reality room, workshops, lots of cool things to see at TeachX this year. On the second day of TeachX, there was also a poster session where practitioners presented their research and demonstrated their tools for enhancing the accessibility, inclusivity, and efficacy of their teaching. I was super excited to see so many educators enthusiastic about creating welcoming and empowering classroom environments, whether in-person or virtual. One of the presenters I had a chance to chat with was Brandon Taylor, an instructional designer at Rush University Medical Center and a lecturer in the Graduate College at Rush University. His open source Lightboard app allows instructors to create Lightboard videos wherever they have access to a computer, opening up possibilities for many instructors who don't have access to Lightboard studios, like the one housed on Northwestern's Evanston campus. My topic uh, that I'm sharing today is a high-flex uh, Lightboard or learning glass, uh, which is essentially a very accessible uh, virtual Lightboard, digital Lightboard, using free or existing software and hardware. So essentially, I'm using OBS, Open Broadcast Software, which is open source, free software, and Microsoft OneNote Class, which you can use other items, and Panopto. And so essentially, you can set up and configure Microsoft or Open Broadcast uh, OBS to work like a switcher. So whatever application you have open on your computer, uh, you can switch scenes automatically, no button pushing, and you get the same effect as if you were at a digital or physical light board, uh, but for free. There's no glass to buy, the software is free and existing. And it's more accessible for faculty because they don't have to go anywhere, uh, to put on their computer. The software is accessible uh, from uh, ADA, um, UDL compliancy as well. And then once you're finished, it automatically can go to Panopto or whatever media server you have. So it makes it flexible and accessible for the faculty and the students. 
and you have your light board wherever you take your computer and internet connection. You don't have to worry about getting to the studio. And this came out of, we created a small light board in a small studio. I had to do the electric slide to move around in there. Uh, but then when the pandemic hit, I tried to figure something out that faculty could use uh, remotely wherever they were, and that's how this came about. If you'd like to learn more about Brandon's open source lightboard software, you can reach him at Brandon underscore Taylor at rush.edu. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N underscore T-A-Y-L-O-R at R-U-S-H dot E-D-U. Another presenter at the poster session was Jennifer Lynn, a PhD candidate in the Department of Political Science. Jennifer's presentation, like many others at TeachX this year, demonstrated ways she uses increased accessibility to show caring in her classroom. In Jennifer's case, in courses on the programming language and software environment R. Yeah, so my project or my thought piece really here is on how to make R instruction more inclusive. And by inclusive, I mean broadly like people from different backgrounds, but I also think more about people with disabilities. So my argument here surrounding this piece is just, you know, how can we make teaching coding inclusive and the two ways one is just having accessible materials and two having an open line of communication um, with your students and for accessible materials my thought uh, or the way I approach it is by like creating slides for class as most instructors will but what I also do just for my own preparation is type out what I want to say with each slide and then for that, I just release it to my students and let them have the material so they can review it on their own time. And what I have gotten in my feedback from my course is that this is actually really useful because they can um, work with the material in a more uh, comfortable setting that's maybe not in the classroom um, on their own time and spend more time with it and help them better understand what's going on. And this format is also incredibly accessible because you can actually like turn the document into like different types, so HTML, Word, whatever, um, and people can like highlight, write on the margins, do whatever they want with it. So basically you really make that your own and you can tailor something to fit, fit like your needs. Open line of communication is just basically listening to your students. If they want um, or they need something that you're not providing them in the classroom uh, and they come to, to tell you what that is, don't shut them down. Listen to them and maybe work out a solution. Um, you know, obviously it has to be within reason, but like, um, you know, don't just say no outright is my point. I asked Jennifer a little bit about how she got started developing these teaching practices. The feedback that I've gotten to, to get to this point is just really like more examples because abstract sounds good, but like how does it put into my practice? So here I have pictures of airplanes because this example was actually how to plot a flight network um, because we think about this all the time when you want to book an airplane <laughs> ticket. So uh, I'm teaching them how to do social network analysis where you connect two points with a line. Um, and the best way that I came up to teach that is a real world example that we think about all the time and that's how you fly from one place to another. And then they can just take the code on these notes um, for when they needed to for their own research, which because I teach like mostly younger grad students um, who are trying to build their own research careers. So they can take the code here for when they need it and then just copy and paste it and then like just change whatever they need to change um, to fit their data and then they can just use it and run with it. It was exciting seeing a fellow grad student presenting at TeachX. And I asked Jennifer how she wound up there. 
Um, I heard about this conference and I've been teaching um, in my own department and so I think that some of the stuff that I have here might be useful to the teaching community broadly and so I thought I'd share. If I'm being honest, I learned about TeachX last year but thought it was just a thing professors went to. I didn't realize that grad students could contribute to the conversation around innovative teaching practices. But as Jennifer demonstrates, even as grad students, we're totally welcome to present the things we're learning in our classrooms, as grad instructors and also as TAs. Jennifer's theme of maintaining direct lines of communication with students showed up in other poster presentations as well. For instance, Erica Nadeel, Assistant Director of Interdisciplinary Connections at the Searle Center, was presenting her co-authored research on using personalized emails in an animal physiology course. Today at TeachX, I'm presenting a virtual uh, poster on using personalized emails in an animal physiology course. So what motivated this work? Well, we know that using student names is a super easy way for instructors to connect with their students. But in response to COVID-19, we know that we lost some of those ways to connect with students, and email became the major mode for instructors to talk one-on-one -on -one with students. Little is known, though, about how using personalized emails can impact students in asynchronous biology spaces. So what did we do? Well, we split students, 300 students, into two groups. One group got emails with their name for seven weeks, and another group of students got emails that said, hi, all. And we asked students, what did you do, and how did you feel about this? What was super cool is that we found students are more likely to engage with the emails in the first three weeks of the course, which is super important. That's when we're building relationships with our students and getting important content information. And then students who got the personalized emails also engaged around midterms, which is also really important if students weren't maybe doing as well as they thought they were doing. Now, what did students say? Well, nearly 95% of students reported a positive impact just from having their name in the email alone. That was the only thing we isolated in this study. And students said the personalized emails made me feel more like a person and less like a number. And they also said it showed how important I am in taking the course and that I'm more likely to read and get the information. Now briefly, why is this important? Well, it shows that we can challenge our assumptions about what are the best ways to reach students by actually checking in with them and asking them, how do you want to be contacted and what would make an impact in asynchronous biology courses? Yeah, I would love to chat more. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about Erica's research, you can contact her at erica.nadeel at northwestern.edu. That's E-R-I-K-A dot N-A-D-I-L-E at northwestern.edu. As the poster session was winding down, I wandered out into the lobby for a refill of coffee and found Jim Stachowiak, offering people support for the accessibility of their course's Canvas sites. I asked Jim more about this. I'm Jim Stachowiak. I'm the Accessible Technology Strategy and Operations Lead here at Northwestern. That is a um, split role between Accessible NU, the Disability Services Office, and the Teaching and Learning Technologies team in um, uh, NUIT. And so I focus on large-scale digital accessibility initiatives on campus, and that's kind of what we're here promoting at TeachX today. We currently have a project going called the Canvas Accessibility Project, where we are working to make all of our Canvas sites accessible to uh, all students um, and with this idea that you know accessible design is good design it's going to lead to more inclusive usable and accessible canvas course sites 
And we've identified seven skills that uh, instructors can implement in those courses that will have a major impact on accessibility. And uh, part of what we're doing here today is having just informal accessibility talks in the, uh, in the lobby area here, handing out stickers on Mission Accessible. Mission Accessible is our challenge that we started that identifies it, it, challenges around each of these seven skills and, and it has instructors work to address them individually and when they're done they they then get kind of certified as their content being accessible in Canvas and they get recognized on our mission accessible wall of fame where students can see who's got accessibly designed courses uh, will alert their deans and department chairs and associate deans of the work that they've put in on that but really what we're trying to promote with this is that this idea is it's not that difficult to do these things. The the seven skills we're looking at are use, using headings properly, um, using meaningful text for links, making sure there's alternative text for images, using tables properly, uh, making sure the color contrast is sufficient, making sure you use lists when you have ordered things that you're going to put out there, and making sure that audio as transcripts and videos are captioned properly. So. You know, that's what we're promoting here today. If you can get those seven things done, you're, you're making a, a more inclusive, usable, accessible, and just overall better experience for all your students. As it turns out, students do notice when instructors make their Canvas sites more engaging and accessible. One piece of evidence for this has come to light through nominations for the Canvas Hall of Fame. The Canvas Hall of Fame developed as a way to recognize instructors who go above and beyond to enhance their Canvas sites. Three instructors are inducted into the Canvas Hall of Fame each year. This ceremony was the final event at TeachX this year. I asked Bea Jimenez, a learning engineer in the Teaching and Learning Technologies Department and a Canvas Hall of Fame facilitator, about the impetus for this project. So Canvas Hall of Fame was an idea that uh, we started to think about uh, during pandemic, uh, during COVID-19 pandemic, we thought it, w it was a good idea for us to recognize those instructors and faculty who were doing, um, really going um, all above and beyond their regular practices, right, to be more inclusive with their, their students and more accommodating and also learning new technology, learning Canvas, learning how to teach remote. It was such a sudden change for most of the instructors and we started to receive some feedback from students saying that they really really appreciated and they wanted to acknowledge those instructors who were doing very good during this pandemic right like teaching online teaching remote uh learning how to use the technology and they were very appreciative of all the things that those instructors were were doing so we thought that it was a very good idea to acknowledge those instructors who were doing like very good teaching remote, especially in, in those circumstances. So that's how it came into, into shape, Canvas Hall of Fame. That's kind of the, the background history about the award. So not only were members of Teaching and Learning Technologies noticing the extra effort instructors were putting into teaching remotely, but students also recognized the caring their instructors put into their newly remote courses. Though many of us are now teaching in person again, the Canvas Hall of Fame continues to recognize instructors whose investment in their Canvas sites has a strong positive impact on their students' experiences in their courses.
What we have seen is um, that for most of instructors, we have seen an appetite of um, wanting to know more about Canvas and how to embed those practices that also were helpful for, for them during pandemic, like polling in Zoom or having a chat record or opening discussions. They, they saw the benefit of including those practices and a big chunk of instructors and faculty body uh, were asking us, like, how do I keep uh, incorporating these practices into my face-to-face -face regular classes now that everything is kind of back to normal? So we have seen that for most of faculty body and instructors, uh, things are, there is still like the, the appetite and they are willing to learn more. And in terms of students, I would say that they are very happy to recognize and to acknowledge those instructors who go above and beyond um, their regular face-to-face -face classroom environments and also even practices that are not related to technology at all. Sometimes the feedback that we get from students is more related to the human side of teaching. We hear things around the lines of they really care about us. The students really like see that there is um, kind of, yeah, like a care system embedded into, into the courses in, and instructors are really willing to do things in order to make sure they learn and they um, learn in different ways and they are more inclusive and they design their classes in, in, in a way that benefits them. So I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, we, we have seen that uh, instructors keep doing those things after pandemic and we want to encourage those practices. I think Bea's comment about the care systems embedded into courses is a great way to describe the resources, technologies, and approaches to teaching presented at TeachX. It's not about technology for technology's sake. It's about using technology and innovative teaching practices to create the most accessible, inclusive, engaging courses possible, where students are supported in deep, impactful learning and growth. TeachX offers the tools to create and maintain those kinds of learning environments. So that's the end of our tour. I hope you've enjoyed our jaunt through TeachX and that you'll consider joining us next year. In the meantime, tune in next month for episode two of Pedagogy Pulse. Our ongoing episodes will feature individual and partner interviews with educators at Northwestern. We'll talk about specific teaching practices and aspects of course design that show these instructors unique brands of caring. For instance, in our next episode, doctoral student Jerfa Gerlin will walk us through some of her plans to increase accessibility and decenter traditional power dynamics in her upcoming mental illness and the media course part of the Northwestern Prison Education Program. Until then, 